This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. This would be cool with sitting and allowing Zach Wilson to play. I think that that's probably... Yeah, that's probably the most ridiculous part of it. Although the 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 Zach Wilson coming in and playing so well in one game that <laughs> you'd be willing <laughs> to turn your back on uh, Zach. Could you imagine if the Jets started out 0 and 5? Oh my god. The the the, the uh you would open up the New York Post and it, it, there wouldn't be stories, there wouldn't be headlines. You just open it up and it would be like that wallet, that trick wallet where you open it up and it's on fire. The, the post would be on fire. You'd open it up and it would just be, it would be, uh, oof, that would be rough. An 0-5 start. Uh, if that's the case, I would think that rather than worrying about who's going to start, I think everybody would be polishing up their resumes at that point. But I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think that's going to be the case. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. I did want to touch on the Mets, and it's, it is, and I guess I'm part of this as well. It's strange that at the trade deadline, the Mets essentially said, we're quitting. We are not, this is not working. We are not going to compete this year. And so now we have to go about the work of fixing the team so that in the long term, we can win. But what they essentially said for this year is, we're not going to try. And if you've watched the games here, wow. The Mets did have a very uh, unique approach to the trade deadline. It was like to sell anything and everything not bolted down. And then if it was bolted down, they gave someone money to buy someone to come and remove the bolts. Anything and everything. It's not a fire sale. No, that's exactly what it was. Seven trades in all. Scherzer gone. Verlander gone. Canna, Fam, Robert. And at the end of the day, I do think it was the right approach because if it's not working, you've got to do something. But it is interesting that the Mets essentially said at the trade deadline, we're giving up. <laughs> we're throwing up our hands and we're giving up on trying to win this season. Whereas the Yankees, who have their own flaws, their own problems, and are, I guess, in a better position than the Mets in terms of wins and losses. That's true. But they are the ones who are like, well, we're gonna we're gonna kind of, we're gonna try to continue to win as many games as we can this year. We're not gonna quit. We're not gonna give up on the season. And they're the ones that have gotten criticized. Whereas the Mets' approach across the board almost has been, hey, what a great what a great move by Steve Cohen. And I agree. I do think it's the right approach. The only thing that I would question, and certainly want to hear from the Mets fans at one eight hundred nine one nine ESPN. Just because you take the right approach to something doesn't mean that it's going to pay off. Like, the payoff for the Mets is a complete crapshoot. And it's funny to me, Mets fans, and, and this is just fans in general, they were all on board with the moves that were made when they were making them. And, 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 and those are of players that they watch. Players in the major leagues that they've seen and they've watched on a regular basis and they know their names and they know their stats and they were on board for those moves and those moves did not work out. But now they're making moves for guys they've never seen, have never heard of before for prospects and they're still on board. And again, the moves are being made by the same guys who built the team that completely flopped. 
It's almost like when you ever see like a movie preview and they're like, well, from the from the mind of the dark, the, from the producer of the dark night, we now give you Oppenheimer. These are the guys who gave you, dude, where's my car? I mean, this is this was not a well-built team. It completely flopped. They spent way too much money on it to begin with, and it was a disaster. It was, it was, they were kind of a laughing stock. So I think it's the right approach. Whether or not it's going to work, that's a, I mean, that's completely up in the air. But it seems like Met fans, in general, have bought it. Oh, we, we now have one of the best farm systems. <laughs> Guys, Steve Cohen's entire philosophy since getting here is essentially paying way too much for whatever he's buying. Way too much. And it's funny. I, I, I saw one thing. I, it was an MLB network. They're like, well, the Mets, the Mets are a cautionary tale about building a team. I don't know if it's a cautionary tale because I don't know that they've gotten the, the lesson of the cautionary tale. And I would say the best thing that the Mets have going for them in terms of the future is that since the trade deadline, it seems like they've gone into complete tank mode, getting swept by the Royals, like getting that top six pick or whatever it is so their pick doesn't drop down. That's the, that would be the best thing that they're going to get out of this system. And if, if restocking the farm system is clearly the number one goal, and the good thing about that is that when they do make that pick, wherever it is, if it is a top six pick or if it's lower down, I'm assuming they will finally have this much vaunted head of baseball operations by that. This search, oh my God, this search for the head of baseball operations taking years. They've built bridges in, in shorter time than the Mets have found their head of baseball operations. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to uh, Ira's in Staten Island. Ira, what's going on, my friend? All good, Gordon. How are you? And, I'm uh, good. Looking forward about. to the season. Yep, looking forward to it. I mean, I know you, you lost. I don't. You lost your corner, but I think uh, there's a lot of optimism uh, for both teams. We'll see how it plays out. You know, first of all, congratulations to Reeves and Klecko. Klecko, of course, well, long overdue. I mean, I can't believe it took all these years, but he finally got the recognition. And, you know, as for the team this year, um, I tell you, Gordon, I, you know, I've been to camp, I've watched. It, 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 listen, they have to put it together when it really counts in September. I get it. That's when it all starts. But this is really one, probably the most talented team since I've seen since 98. And I'm not going to worry about that last call with Rogers, you know, 0 and 5 and all the other nonsense. <laughs> it's a bit but, of a but, but, but with, with all due respect, but um, God, God forbid Zach Wilson has to take over the Jets are in big trouble. But uh, at the end of the day, um, if my major concern, which every Jet fan, I feel so repetitive going over this, is the offensive line. They still, they say uh, Brown is weeks away from coming back, and that's a big concern. Because if he's not right, now all of a sudden you have to keep. See, I think they're going to trade Beckton, but I think if Brown's not right, they're going to have to keep Beckton. And then now you're forced for this guy to be your left tackle. And, and if that's the case, you got to have major concerns. I mean, he could only go through five plays. I get that he was worried about the turf the other night, you know, in Canton, but he, I've seen him limping around the field during practice. Um, I don't know if it's in his head. I, I don't know what the deal is, but this guy got to get it right because if this offensive line comes up short, and I think Joe Douglas has an enormous job, even though he's had a couple of bad drafts, 
filling up this roster. The thing I don't understand, his main thing was offensive line, and until they prove that this offensive line is good this year, that still remains a big question mark, and that's tough after four years. Yeah, uh, especially when that was, uh, and Ira, thanks for the phone call, that was one of the major things walking in the door. I mean, for, for years, it was like a, a running joke between the Jets and the Giants. Oh, I got to fix the offensive line, got to fix the offensive line, got to fix the offensive line. And look, I, I'm not going to draw up scenarios where things go wrong, but if you were to draw up a scenario where things, how could things possibly go sideways for the Jets this year? Well, I would think that the number one thing you would say is you lose the quarterback. For whatever reason, uh, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt or goes down and he's not able to play and Zach Wilson has to get in there. Uh, and how would that happen? Well, the offensive line. It, ha- it has to be the biggest concern because it does not, even now, even after all the resources that have been sunk into it between free agents and draft picks and trades and this thing and that thing, it still doesn't really feel like uh, it's settled. And you'd like to think that with the goals that the Jets have this year, that it would be settled, that it would be, okay, we know you can go left to right and you know exactly now the center of the line, it seems like that's now uh, solidified. But the tackle spots, <laughs> which is a, a big, oh, that's just the tackles? Oh, is that all? Yeah, the tackles, that's a really bad part to be, uh, to be questioning. And, yeah, it has to be your biggest concern. And, you know, the thing um, with Becton, and you've heard that before, that guys coming off injuries, that there has to be still that trust factor of, of getting back in there and being concerned that the injury could pop back up again. Um, but the fact that he said that the turf wasn't, was it, was the line, the turf wasn't friendly to people his size or something like that. There was a the quote, uh, I was reading the, um, the quarterback tears column that Mike Sando had in uh, The Athletic. And he was talking about Aaron Rodgers. And he said last year, Aaron Rodgers played four games on turf. This year, he'll play 14 games on turf. And at his age, with a, maybe a, a questionable offensive line, that has to concern you. And I think the same thing goes for Becton, right? Like, maybe it was just the turf at that field, but he's going to be, if he's going to play, he's going to be playing a lot of games on turf. So, um, there's no way that you can go into the season expecting anything from Makai Becton. Anything you get from him has to be considered a bonus. Now, the other thing that I thought was funny after the Hall of Fame game was you see these headlines everywhere about, well, the takeaways from Zach Wilson's performance, what you need to know about the Jets Hall of Fame, breaking down Zach's well, – the only takeaway you need is if Zach Wilson is playing – any major snaps, not a situation where the game is already over and the Jets are blowing out whoever and he gets it. No, if, if they need Zach Wilson to play significant snaps, the Jets are screwed. That's, I mean, there's, there's no other takeaway to have. And if Aaron Rodgers, like all the talk of camp, and who knows, sometimes playing on the Jets is like, uh, you ever see the, the pictures of the president year through year? Like the guy ages much quicker. Right now, everything's sunshine and roses, right? Oh, Aaron Rodgers is living here and he's doing this and he's going to that show and this game. And we'll see what happens after the season's over. But if it's true that he does plan on playing more than one year here, well, the chances, which are already slim, the chances of Wilson ever playing again for the Jets goes down from there. So, 
Uh, I didn't. I didn't watch the entire Hall of Fame game. I'm not that uh, much of a of a mental case. I can't imagine sitting there watching the entire game. But to just the the the, the main takeaways from the Hall of Fame game was Becton and Zach Wilson, and I don't think that either of them should be someone that Jet fans are expecting to see uh, a lot this year. Um, now, the one other thing about Becton. The only problem with trading Becton away, which does seem like has been mentioned by a lot of people, the Jets need bodies along that offensive line. So it's almost like at this point, like what's the Bennett, what are you getting for trading him away when I don't think it's a great chance that he comes in and makes an impact, but he was a a pick of this GM. He was a first round pick when he was healthy a couple of years ago. He dominated at times. So I don't know that the Jets really have the luxury of just being simply like, well, we can just trade him away for whatever you would get back. I don't know, fifth, sixth round pick when you still kind of need healthy bodies. And the guy who you are projecting to be your left tackle is what, 37 years old and is still not practicing with the team. So it's a little bit of a tricky situation. Uh, Let's go to Anthony's in Harlem. Anthony, next up on the Gordon Damer Show. Hey, Gordon. I love to hear you, uh, your voice on the weekend. It always reminds me of uh, football time. Thanks, man. I, I am a huge Jets fan, and I am one of the maniacs that watched quite a bit of that Hall of Fame game. <laughs> I think uh, Mackay uh, Becton is playing a little game with the Jets. Um, I think he knows he wants to play left tackle um, because I know he knows that that's where the money is. And if he can have a good season and play, you know, significant snaps for them. I mean, the kid, listen, I know it was seven snaps and he pulled himself. But if you watched what he played, he looked like a really good NFL left tackle. And – I think he's kind of playing a game, oh, the right tackle hurts my right my knee and I can't play it. He wants to play left tackle. I think, as you said, you've got to go into the season with him, whether he's starting or Dwayne Brown is starting. And between the two of them, one of them has to play the games and protect Aaron Rodgers. Um, that's just my thoughts on him. Yeah, I, I hear you, Anthony, and I, I, I get it. Um, I don't know how much faith that this organization still has that Becton can be relied upon, but they're in the situation, with the, and they've only put themselves in it, where they kind of have to rely on him because of Dwayne Brown's situation as well. So it's not like, you know, if you went into the season where, well, we don't need anything Becton gives us is, is a bonus, which – is the way I would approach it as a fan. I would not be expecting him to, to be ma- playing major snaps. I don't know that they have that, that luxury because the two tackle spots are just so, so shaky. Um, so he's here. Uh, if, if you're not going to have him here, then you're going to have to go find somebody else. So uh, it's, not, <laughs> it's great that the, the middle of the line is a little bit more solidified. But those tackles, those, there's a reason why those guys, uh, especially the left tackle, get paid so much money. Danny is on Long Island. Danny, next up on the Gordon Damer Show. Hey, Gordon. I was just checking the back of uh, Aaron Rodgers' card. I don't seem to see any 0-5 starts uh, in the past 15 years, so I'm pretty confident that the well, Jets I've never played with the, the Jets before, Danny, either. That's, uh, that's the only caveat. Well, listen, when you sign up for the Mets and the Jets, I mean, you better get a good show for, with the seatbelts and airbags because anything's possible. I mean, you, you know, nothing would surprise me. Once you sign with the Mets or the Jets, it's all on the table. But, uh, you know, whether their offensive line is great, average, or below average, when you have an Aaron Rodgers, and I watched this year with the Steelers, because I'm a Steelers fan with Roethlisberger, you have the man on the center who can audible out of plays. He can, he can manipulate the offensive line into situations that they are good at. You can do screen passes. You can do those short little plank of screens. You have a computer 
at the quarterback position right now, which you've never had before. So he can make up. That makes up for lots of deficiencies. The Steelers won the Super Bowl in a year that they had the most uh, quarterback sacks, Roethlisberger. So it's not just run the ball when you have to. Keep the man on two feet. You don't have to be – as long as you're not terrible, he'll figure it out. The man has the resume. Uh, they have a decent wide receiver. I don't care, I don't care who, the, who the wide receivers are. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs, it changes every year. It doesn't matter. When you have the man, you have the man. And, that's, and the Jets have the man. So they'll be good. There'll be a wide receiver that we've never heard of for the Jets or for the Chiefs that everyone will be scrambling to get on their fantasy football team after two weeks because they have a Hall of Fame quarterback throwing the ball, and that's all you need in professional football these days. Well, Danny, I, look, I appreciate the phone call. Um, I will say this. If the Jets uh, allow the most sacks in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers will not get through the season. That, that, that cannot allow, they can allow that, that to happen. And it, he is a, a wily veteran. He is good at getting rid of the ball, so he does not take that kind of punishment. Um, but other situations, uh, I don't know that you can necessarily compare it, you know, just because the chiefs are able to do it every single year. I don't know that you can all of a sudden throw the jets in that comp in that conversation as well. He is getting up there. You know, father time is undefeated. So the jets have decided to outsource their offense to Aaron Rodgers. It was the right approach, but like I said, with the Mets before and their approach at the trade deadline, just because it's the right approach doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. We shall see. And it can't get here soon enough. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Coming up, big day for the Jets organization. Big day for Darrell Rivas. Big day for Joe Klecko. We'll hear from both of them and their speeches, a little portion of their speeches at the Hall of Fame earlier today. Coming up next. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Now, Aaron Boone, while he is uh, not exactly, the team has not played all that great, although they did win today, beat the Astros again 3-1, so maybe getting, we're, we're in it to win it, people. But he's had quite the week in terms of answers from the one about uh, striking out 18 times and liking the at-bats to the, the one about uh, Herman not being able to pitch and he was able to pitch and they later in the game and everything there. So I wanted to hear what he had to say. Today's game, Yankees had an opportunity to score a run. I don't remember who got the base hit, but Giancarlo Stanton was at second base. It was LeMahieu that came up with the base hit to right field. We all know that Stanton's speed has been an issue. It's been noticeable. He, even by baseball player standards, you watch him run, and he looks like he's moving in slow motion. So there were two outs in the inning, which in maybe normal situations, you'd say, all right, let's try and push the, 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 the situation here. Let's try and score the run. But when you know you have, I, I would have to think he is the slowest guy on the Yankees, which is not exactly <laughs> saying something. Yankees are not exactly, you know, loaded with Ricky Henderson in their prime. So well, I wanted to hear what Aaron Boone had to say about Boone, uh, excuse me, about Stanton being sent home in that situation. That, is that the question to him or is it just about his speed in general? The question is, why would he be sent in that situation? Here's Aaron Boone. Yeah, G's good. Didn't think got a great round on third and got a little careful over there. Look, ball, two outs, hitting the gap like that. Think you got to take your chances. So, so is that his full speed at this particular point in time, John Carlos? I, I have to, I have to look at it. Sometimes, 
if he gets going in the right direction. He's got, I think, more than that. Sometimes if it's not an efficient route, you know, he's going he's gonna to protect it a little bit. All you need to know, if you didn't see the play, was that it was, it was a well-struck ball to right field, but it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a laser, um, but it was a good hit ball to right field. And the throw was not a good throw. And Stanton was out by so much that he didn't even slide. So can I have the quote? Give me the cut one more time from, from Aaron Boone. I just, want, I just want to make sure I have it right. Because he throws a lot of words in there, and I don't know what the hell he's talking about. And I know maybe that's me. Maybe, maybe I'm the problem. But let me just hear the cut one more time. Yeah, G, G's good. Didn't think got a great round on third and got a little careful the over there. Look, ball, two outs, hitting the gap like that. Think you got to take your chances. So, so is that his full speed at this particular point in time, John Carlos? I, I'd, have to, I'd have to look at it sometimes. If he gets going in the right direction, he's got, I think, more than that. Sometimes if it's not an efficient route, you know, he's going he's gonna to protect it a little bit. If he gets going in the right direction, okay. If he, if he can be running downhill with a stiff wind behind him. Oh, boy, what, a, what, what an organization. one 800 espn is the uh, telephone number. Let's go to Spike. Spike is in St. Pete. Spike, what's going on, friend? Good to, uh, good to talk to you a uh, couple of games in a row. The Yankees are winning. You know what I've noticed, and I, and I picked this up about 10 years ago, I guess when Mike Woodson started coaching uh, the Knicks, and I understand the contractual commitments by the league to make yourself available. You'd know more than I did because you worked on that end, but pre and post and all that stuff. You, you know, you're committed to talk to the press. There used to be a time constraint, right, Gordon? Yeah, 15 minutes after or a half hour, whatever the deal was. Right. But it's all platitudes. What do you mean uh, he didn't get a good round? Can't they speak in such simple language that uh, uneducated people like myself could quite understand it? You know, I... It just seems it's a long way to say not much. Am I wrong? Well, uh, and thanks for the phone call, Spike. I, I think uh, that one I, did, I knew what he was talking about, right? You want to be able to cut the base with your right foot. You don't want to be going around the base uh, on the outside. You want to be going around on the inside so you're efficient and, and get the best. But that, <laughs> that, that was not the problem in that situation. The problem in that situation is Giancarlo Stanton, for whatever reason, and I don't know, Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's dealing with some sort of issue. Maybe the Yankees have told him, don't go all out because we don't want you to have any more leg issues. Maybe it's just something subliminally in his mind that he doesn't want to go all out because of all the leg issues he's had already. But the guy can't run. So the idea in that situation, well, it's like the, the scene from Swiggers. You always double down on an 11. I lost. I don't, you don't always double down on him. You don't send him in that situation because he can't run. And I'm not saying that the result always tells you whether the decision was right or wrong. But that one was pretty clear because you know that he is not a fast runner. It was not the type of situation where anybody anybody can score in that situation. So, yeah, it was absolutely a wrong send. It had nothing to do with how he rounded third base. He was out by a mile. He could, he could have ran home directly from second over the pitcher's mound, and he still would have been out. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Coming up, we'll hear from Revis. We'll hear from Klecko next on the Gordon Damer Show, 98.7 FM, ESPN New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. So that was on Luis Rojas for sending him. And um, I guess the, uh, the non-criticism that, uh, that pertains to coaches as well. 
All right, so let's move on to a little football. A big day for the Jets organization today with uh, both Revis and Klecko being inducted into the uh, Hall of Fame. Jets with the Hall of Fame game the other day. So uh, the, the offseason has been all about the New York Jets and this early part of the uh, exhibition season all about the New York Jets. So let's hear from, I guess we'll go with Revis first, a little taste of his speech today as he's inducted into Canton. I just want to start off by saying, you know, basketball was my first love. I was nice now. <laughs> so it's kind of surreal that I'm here today being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. People back at home from Malacoupa, Norma, I'm a hooper at heart. Life is shaped by the choices we make. Even if one thing we cannot choose shapes us most. Where we come from. No one has control over when, you're, when they're born, what family they're born into, or where they start. But these things have a profound impact on every decision we make and who we become. The conditions had, had to be just right for me to end up here. Every moment, every opportunity, perfectly aligned. I'm from Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. For those of you who never heard of Aliquippa, all you need to know are their three names, Mike Dicker, Tony Dorsett, and Ty Law. My hometown produces legends. Now that you know where I come from, I need to tell you a little bit about who I come from. My Uncle Mark played Division I basketball at Duquesne. I was a ball boy for his team, and I thought to myself that I'll make it to the NBA before he do. <laughs> I must have been about 70 or 80 years old at the time, and he used to bring me on campus with him. One day we were driving through a neighborhood, a nice neighborhood, and we stopped at the end of Long Driveway. I could see a huge house at the end. My uncle asked me, would you like to live in, in a house like that someday. I said yes. Looking back on that moment now, I realized that was the first time I learned about manifestation and visualization. As kids, we've all imagined ourselves making the cuts play that will will our team to victory. But this was different. I was becoming aware of the connection between seeing myself in that house and the attention behind my actions. I've learned early on that if I wanted to be in a house like that, I had to set some goals. Ultimately, goal setting became the core of my preparation and work ethic. If I got my hoop game from my uncle, then you know I got the love of my football game from my uncle Sean. He played for Pitt and was drafted in the first round. A blueprint I will later follow before all, all of that, I was his finish line. My uncle would run sprints up the hill, hills we lived near, and I would be waiting at the top. He was an example of doing the things necessary to give yourself the chance to be great. I eternalized that lesson and it fueled my insanity. It wasn't enough to win. 
I needed to dominate. By that time I reached high school, my development as a player progressed to a point where it was time to learn about sports as a business. My Uncle Sean, he would give me challenges. He would give me $100 every pick I made and every touchdown I scored. I may not have realized it at the time, but he was preparing me for what was to come. It wasn't about the money. It was about understanding my value, my worth as a player. So when it was time for me to go to the league, I was prepared. In 2007, I was drafted 14th overall. That moment was the combination of all lessons I learned and all the work put into the pursuit of perfection. It was, it was an opportunity for me to continue my legacy for my hometown and to forge my own. Now that you know how I started, I'd like to take this opportunity to express my gratitude to some of the people who have supported me on my journey. Now I'd like to start with Rex Ryan. Ahead of the new 2009 season, Rex Ryan called me the best corner in football, and I haven't even met him yet. Needless to say, the expectations were high. After our first meeting, I was convinced that I'd play my heart out for him. He was crafting a winning culture and told me that he was confident that I was the guy to set the tone for the rest of the team. Rex, thank you for seeing something special in me and motivating me to live up to, to that potential. Thank you. When Rex joined the team, he brought over a secondary coach who I became very close with. Dennis Thurman was a perfect fit for my development as a player. I don't know if you recall, but in 2009, ended up in being a historical season for me. And DT was a pivotal role in my success. To help me stay focused, he had often tell me, get used to fighting boredom, but when the ball is thrown your way, be ready. He will come at you, they will come at you when you at least expect it. His words stuck with me to a point to where if I let up a single catch, I felt like it was a letdown to my teammates. Thank you, DT, for all your valuable advice and helping me achieve greatness. Also, I would like to thank all of my teammates and coaches for making me a better player. I came to work every day with the desire to elevate my game, and you helped me achieve that. It's been an honor to suit up with you every day. I love you guys. I didn't get the chance to play with this guy named Deion Sanders, but he was a prototype for me. What Jordan is to Kobe is prime to Rivas Island. You came first, and I wanted to play just like you. You were the roadmap to greatness. Thank you for paving the way. Now, I don't know where my pops at. I think I see him there. <laughs> Thank you, pops, for teaching me to be disciplined and telling me if I put in the hard work, it all pay off. I'm proud of you, and I appreciate you for st staying true to who you are. Thank you.
to my, to, to my first coach, my mother, Diana. I remember if I wasn't doing well in the classroom, you would take away the very thing I loved, which was playing ball. At the time, I didn't appreciate you taking ball away. But the lesson was to make sure I had the same type of focus in the classroom as I did with sports. Thank you for always knowing what path I needed to take to make it here to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. To my daughter, Diani, and my son, Jaden, never back down from a challenge. Dare yourself to become great at whatever you choose to do. It's your time. Stay in the moment. I love you. Thank you to the Pro Football Hall of Fame Committee and my dear friend, Gary Myers, for voting me into football heaven. It's been an honor to be here and stand amongst the greats. I also would like to thank the Jets organization for trading up 2007 and giving me the opportunity to play in New York City for the best fans in the world. All right, so there you have a little Darrell Revis. Uh, of course, uh, not a surprise that uh, he gets in. Very short wait for him. It was not the case uh, for Joe Klecko, who has waited a very long time, and he is also one of the nine members that go into the Hall of Fame class today. So it won't be as long, but uh, give you a little taste of Joe's speech earlier today in Canton. He told me that he saw a lot of my games when I was at Temple because I played at the old Vet Stadium where Philly played. He said that he was the... That was one of the reasons he drafted me. And the other, we were both Polacks. So it fit real well. Once I asked my defensive line coach, Dan Sikanovich, a guy I really looked up to, about making the Pro Bowl. And he said to me, Joe, you're not going to have to worry about making a Pro Bowl. You're going to have to worry about someday being enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And believe me, from that day on, I played a lot harder. In 1985, defensive genius Bud Carson entered our, our fold and switched me to a three-man line. I played it in a cock position like Mean Joe Green used to play. I had so much fun and caused so much havoc, there was great, I, I, re, I confused offensive linemen because they, were, they knew, they never knew which way I was coming from. And the Jets owner, Mr. Leon Hess, a true fan of the game, we were all his boys. He treated us like foot, he treated our football team like family. In 1981, one of the greatest names in football was born, the New York Sack Exchange. We led the NFL in sacks in 81 and reached the AFC Championship game the following year. Marty, Marty Lyons, if you met, was a first-round draft pick out, out of Alabama. Abdul Salam was a soldier of peace, but he battled with us every Sunday and left it all on the field. And then one of the biggest personalities in NFL history, my teammate, Mark Gastineau, 
Mark, I know that through our competitive nature, we made each other better. I want to quickly acknowledge a teammate of mine uh, who, who passed away last August, Jim Sweeney. Uh, he, uh, he died suddenly, and I just want to mention his name. I, want to re I also want to re reflect on some of my teammates, the defensive line. Kenny Neal, Barry Bennett, Ben Rudolph, Tom Baldwin. Our linebackers were John Woodring, Kyle Clifton, Lance Mel, Greg Buttle, and Stan Blinka. And our defensive backs, who were sometimes part of best part of our offense, Bobby Jackson, Jerry Holmes, Darrell Ray, and Kenny Shroy. Our quarterbacks were the tenacious Richard Todd and, and Kenny O'Brien. Kenny had, in my opinion, one of the greatest games ever by an NFL quarterback throwing for almost 500 yards and four touchdowns when we beat Dan Marino and the Dolphins in, in 1986. Wes, Wesley Walker was among the wideouts who had four touchdowns that day. In my opinion, is one of the greatest receivers I've ever watched. I must mention, And to the current Jets owners, Woody and Chris Johnson, and the entire Jets staff, thank you for all the help pushing me for the Hall of Fame election. Thanks, guys. And uh, big day for the Jets, obviously, with uh, both guys going into the Hall of Fame. You're getting a little bit more of the Jets uh, getting in there with uh, Mawai a couple of years ago. Curtis Martin, I guess it's been about a decade since Martin got in, but uh, it's been a long time since the Jets have had any real representation there. So uh, good for them and good for Joe. It's been a long way. And I always I always judge Jets uh, by how much I hate them <laughs> as a Dolphin fan. And I absolutely hated Revis. I hated Klecko. I hated Mawai. So it's great to see that they are great players. Even though I hated them, I respected them. And uh, good to see them getting their uh, their due today out in Canton. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. Coming up, get more of your phone calls involved as we take you up till 6 o'clock tonight. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN New York.